Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Anne Harrison. Anne is the Executive Director of The Monkey and the Elephant, a cafe that employs and mentors young people aging out of foster care located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Anne, to our podcast series. Thank you so much for participating. How are you today? Hi, Lynn. I am so happy to be here, and I'm doing really well. Terrific. Well, I am really looking forward to hearing more about your organization. I know a little bit about it just because you're fairly local, you know, relatively speaking, to where we are. We're in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and you're in Philadelphia, which is only, what, an hour and a half, a couple yep. hours away? Yep. right down the street. Yeah, and I've actually been to your organization on one occasion, so I'm looking forward, though, to hearing more about the the history and the inner workings and the structure and all of that good stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got to come by the cafe. It is a really special place, and we're excited to welcome any customers and anytime people are in Philadelphia. Excellent. Well, before we dive into your organization and what you do there... What I would like you to do, if you would please, is to share a little bit about yourself, your own background, and how did you come to be connected with the foster care system? Sure. Well, I have been working in the city of Philadelphia with community services in the form of after-school and summer programs with a young adult employment training theme that has gone throughout my time. And I've had the great honor of getting to work with amazing families, young adults, and children in providing that sort of third space, another place to be that isn't home and isn't school. And that really has been a rich, beautiful place for learning. And so for 20 years in Philadelphia, I have worked for a number of these amazing groups and then found myself at the City of Philadelphia Department of Human Services managing out-of-school time, summer, and after-school grants for some of these very organizations. I was sitting housed in DHS, DHS, the Department of Human Services, and alongside a lot of the social workers and intake specialists who had a more direct line to the foster care system. So you could say that I went both inside and outside the system to get some experience before joining the monkey and the elephant in October of 2020. My experience actually has been really great to jump into everything from training up young adults in employment training, which is what the monkey and the elephant specialize in, as well as really getting inside look at the system of what happens to a young person when they go through Department of Human Services and then, of course, into foster care and then exiting foster care when they age out. I also have this awesome opportunity of getting to work in different neighborhoods in Philadelphia, just rich in fun and culture and, of course, struggling with things like schools and systemic racism and poverty and all sorts of challenges. But there's also just such a excitement around creating community that I think is unique and often undervalued. And so I feel really lucky to get to work at the Monkey and the Elephant and have all these different experiences to lean on. I have to pause and comment your experience with grants. I am a little jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- 
I tell you, I've seen them all. There have to be so many, particularly small organizations that just wish they had that level of expertise within their organization staff to write grants. It's always, I think, a bit of a challenge. So I think you're fortunate to have had that exposure. Yes, I really am. And I have to say from a programmatic standpoint, it's always hard when you're the programmer and you're doing the work and then the grant writer writes something that you're not doing. So the best organizations really marry that programmer and that grant writer to be in the same room when they're reviewing proposals. Well, I might call you for some advice sometime. Oh, sure. We'll see. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Back to your organization. Now, you mentioned creating community, and we'll get into what exactly you do, but you have mentioned you're a cafe, and you have, I think, a unique opportunity to really interact with the community in a way that other organizations don't. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it has its upsides and downsides. Having an employment training program take place in a live setting is so unusual and unique and special. Usually, employment training is very theoretical, and it's about theories and ideas about how to practice everything from customer service to workplace professionalism. But when you are serving coffee, you're taking orders, you're interacting with the public, it really it throws you into this almost like speed skill building because you're practicing in front of and with people. And that creates this amazing and beautiful experience that can happen with the customers who are just really there to support the organization and love what you made. And I think that's what sometimes customers forget is that our participants want to make things that the customers love. The best compliment is this tastes delicious, or this is amazing. More than anything else, they put their heart and souls into every little, every little bit of what is made in the cafe, and it's all made from scratch. So it's like their validation for the work that they put in getting there at 6.30 a.m. and baking off scones and muffins and whatnot. Of course, the downside is that customers can come in all sorts of ways. I think in the pandemic, it's been particularly difficult to be enforcers of whatever the city has decided, as well as internally what we've decided in order to keep our team as safe as possible. I'm always surprised when they're met with hostility about things like mask wearing or whether we have indoor dining or not. And that's come and gone throughout the time that the pandemic has happened. We just try to really focus on creating community both within the team and with the customers who are coming in. And during the pandemic, sometimes our customers, we were the only ones they were talking to, especially early on. That was a really important time for us both to be open for the participants to have a job and employment and connection, but also the customers who really weren't out and about or doing much more. That was their outing for the day. And really their only social interaction in many cases was with our team. And so it's really important for us that we're kind with each other and that we're all really trying our best to learn and get better at our jobs. And that doesn't exclude myself or the leadership team. We also really believe that we have to practice what we preach. And so growth mindset is one of the tenets of culture at the monkey and the elephant. We are all working on something. No one is excluded from that. And Everybody makes mistakes and we just own our mistakes when they happen and then keep learning and growing. And I think that really helps everyone relax to be able to make mistakes and relax in order to learn and get better at whatever piece of their professional life they're working on. 
Yeah. Because they're not all training to be baristas. Correct. Right? Yep. This is a foundational learning experience for them to do whatever it is they want. Yes. I like to say that we're a place where young adults aging out of foster care can really get their feet under them. The first couple of months, the majority of the folks who've come through have been housing insecure, couch surfing, or in group homes. I would say all but maybe one of the last two years of our participants. They haven't had a chance to really control their environment, and they're also just trying to figure out what to do. And so they're not really in a place to say, this is what my career path is going to be, or this is what I'm going to study at school. They really have to get their feet under them and start making money. And so really one of the first things that we start to tackle is around getting them stable housing, helping them figure out everything from like reading leases to advocating on their behalf to get into either housing programs or finding apartments. And then they start to make money. And so financial literacy is really where we start with the employment training program. And like, what is a budget? What is spending? How much is coming in? How much is going out? And really that key part of adulting that helps you stay housed and helps you stay in a place where you can think about what's next. They're not really ready to think about what's next until maybe three to six months into the program. And then they're like, oh, okay, I like this. I don't like this. I like customers. I don't like customers. I don't want to do front of house. I don't, you know, and that, that happens. I'd prefer to do back of house or I don't love food service. I'd like to do something in social services or with kids. And then at that point, we start to work with them on their next steps. And the launching is really like, what do you like doing? Strengths assessment, as well as some of those professional skills like networking and resume writing and applying for jobs, looking for jobs. And then ideally around month nine or so, they really start to actively engage in that next step. And some of that, if they love the cafe, we have built in a new program to stay at the cafe as a shift leader. And as a mentor, an opener and a closer, it's called the Shift Leader and Training Program. And that is actually kind of bore out of this desire for some folks who really love it and they want to mentor and improve their skills in the cafe. They then become the mentors for the next group that comes in. That's terrific. So is it, it sounds like it, is it maybe like around a year long program in general, or is it really around that nine month time frame for most of your youth? That is a great question. Everyone takes their own path. <laughs> so I would say the best thing about the monkey and the elephant is that we move at their pace. And so we occasionally will get folks who really whip through the program, never miss a day, never miss a workshop. Right now we have 25 workshops and 100 shifts where we feel like sort of mastery has been met. And so we like to hit that before they graduate into whatever is next. But sometimes it takes folks a little bit longer and they may only be able to work a few days a week or they have trouble getting to their shifts. So there's a, a lot of different factors going into that. I would say it's around a year but occasionally shorter. And then if they do want to stay engaged with us as in the leadership track, the shift leader in training, then that's probably another six to nine months. And then once they get their sort of shift leader in training, which is another series of workshops that also include a serve safe manager credential, which will put them in a really nice place to get a job at another location, as well as they have all that experience opening and closing and giving and receiving feedback and we also do some workplace training and then some trauma 101 class that they take. Oh, okay. 
before we get too much further, I just want to ask a couple more basic questions. How many young people work there at any one time? How many do you have employed right now? Mm, Great question. We have seven employed right now, which is our sort of peak number. We have three shift leader in training and four initial phase one participants. And so the shift leader in training, we have two that will be graduating that program in late spring. And then we have one participant, well, let's see, the four participants started in the fall and then December. So we had one start in October and then three in December. So I would say they'll probably be wrapping up in the late summer or fall. And then we'll bring on a new cohort probably in the summertime. So we kind of ramp them up. I would say from the point of view of how many start and how many finish, that's a new metric that I've been starting to monitor in the last year. It's around one out of four will fall off within the first couple of weeks. Like they're just not ready to get up for cafe shifts. They, you know, we had one person's like, I don't get up till 11. That's a hard time to work at the coffee shop. Yeah, (laughs) You know, you got to get there at 630 in the morning. So, you know, everybody thinks it's a really fun place to work until the reality of a coffee shop, you have to get up very early. So we'll lose, I would say, 20 to 25% within the first couple of weeks, or they're just not ready to consistently show up for work. And that's really no call, no shows. And we work with people for many times before we actually say, hey, is this really something that you want to do? And then we have another group, I would say, that probably gets into like that three-month period and then decide they don't want to work at a cafe or find another job opportunity or something like that. And so I would say that in the last year, we had 10 and two didn't make it past the first couple of weeks. And so eight did. And so now we have more potential this year because we're going to be offering more slots. So we'll sort of see how this year goes. Wonderful. And when did you open the cafe? Yeah, the cafe started as a pop-up shop and Lisa Mikolas started it and she really, really made it all happen. I feel like I really came in after it was pretty well established and she started the pop-up shops in 2013 and then got into the cafe that we're in now in 2014. Yeah, so she started as pop-up shops, little coffee pop-up shops, and then the cafe itself, the the building that we're in right now in 2014. Great. Do you have an idea of how many young people have gone through your program since you started or since she started? I don't know the total number, unfortunately, before I started. The data that I've sort of gathered is that it's between, I think, averaged around 10 a year for 2019 and 2020. I know 2019 just because of the records. Mm, Okay. So I'm not sure what happened before 2019. (laughs) Well, I mean, for what would you call it? A small coffee shop, right? It's it's small. It's not just a hole in the wall, but you know, it's not, I wouldn't consider it like a large restaurant. Correct. So I think for the size of the program you are, I think that's wonderful that you've served that many young people over the years. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things I think is you know, from my perspective, as with a lot of history and programming, is that there is a lot more opportunity within the organization to build roles out. So the whole shift leader and training program, really giving them the opportunity to be the leaders instead of hiring out other people, because they're young adults, they have the capacity. We're just working on building their knowledge, skill and ability. And then there's some other places I think we're going to start exploring 
For example, we are starting an art series. And so having someone help coordinate the art shows, potentially have someone help coordinate things like space rentals, inventory. There's a few other jobs at the cafe infrastructure level that I think we can build out some roles and really get some good work experience for folks. I feel like I'm always looking to find more positions because we never have trouble filling them. You know, there's a very long list. We have to turn people away. And so I hate I hate that feeling. So I'm always trying to find them like, how are we going to get them paid? And what can we give them that they will feel a value and, and, and use in working? So. Exactly. Yeah. Philadelphia, the numbers of young people in foster care are pretty high. Yeah. Unfortunately, I guess you have to work with young people who are local, but local in Philadelphia with public transportation means your young people might be coming quite a distance. Yeah, actually, that is true. We work with young adults all over Philadelphia, and public transportation really allows us to do that. And we provide SEPTA transpasses so that getting to work is never an issue. I think the Northeast is the toughest place for them to get to, but we have a handful in North Philadelphia, Northeast Philadelphia, and then West Philadelphia. And usually their housing isn't that permanent. And so what we find is that they end up finding places that are closer as they sort of go on their housing journey. Where they are isn't necessarily where they end up. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that is not as serious. <laughs> so for people in the Philadelphia area, what are your specialties? Ooh, what what yes. can they come and uh, yes. enjoy I love at this your question. cafe? This is the best question. <laughs> and if you want to get anyone at the cafe talking, just ask them what their favorite drink is and what the best muffin is. <laughs> so we make everything from scratch. That means the muffins, the scones, the cookies, the Rice Krispie treats, and I'm telling you, these are the best Rice Krispie treats in Philadelphia. And they're like made with like a salted brown butter. And, you know, and Rice Krispie treats doesn't look that glorious, but these are glorious. But they cannot be overshadowed by the muffins. The muffins are so good and they're constantly changing what the special is. So we literally just today were talking about the lemon is back. So springtime is here. <laughs> the lemon flavors are here. We have a lemon blueberry syrup. That is actually used in both lemonades as well as teas. And so you can get this sort of like sweet but not too sweet flavoring with that lemon blueberry. And then there's, of course, the lemon loaf, which is very popular. But personally, I love the chai. And we make our chai completely from scratch. It is not a powder. It should not be a powder. And this is when we go on our little monologues. It's actually like seven or eight different spices and then a black tea. And we sell it as a mix as well. So if you want to come to the shop, get a chai tea, and then take one of the mixes home with you, you can make a chai concentrate, and then you can have your iced chai lattes at home all summer long. So that's my big promo for the chai. It's very overlooked. <laughs> you see, we could talk about this forever. Cold brew is going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. And I think I mentioned it before, but the team loves to make things that taste good and they love baking and making these drinks. And so when people like it and they say, hey, I really liked it, it just makes their day because they, yeah. they put themselves into it. Oh, that's great. I know that when I was there, I whenever I go to a coffee shop, I get hot chocolate oh, yeah. and I enjoyed it very much. But more so, I, I enjoyed meeting the young people. We didn't, it was very busy, so I didn't have a chance to really talk with any of them in depth. But it's just knowing the purpose of the cafe and going in and seeing them in action yeah. was great. I really appreciated that. But it makes me wonder, I mean, they're, 
in Mechanicsburg here near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, there's the Cracked Pot Coffee Shop. Uh-huh. Texas has La La Land Cafe, uh-huh. and they are growing. They're opening more in their areas. So my question is, how unique is this model of having a cafe that is also a nonprofit organization that supports young people in this employment mentoring type of approach? In Philadelphia, there are very few. I know that Youth Build just started a cafe in West Philly, which I'm excited to check out. But in general, and I've worked in Philadelphia for a long time, and most of the employment training is pretty dry. It's in a classroom and it It's about making a resume, which is still important. Or it's a program where you're working on a project, like a service learning project, which is also really valuable. But that direct experience in a job you can have is really unique. And having the cafe really helps us offset some of our costs. Now, we can't support the organization with a cafe. And in the time of COVID, I think it went from like half of the overall revenue for the organization to a third to a quarter of the revenue. And it's also not sustainable to expand the number of participants based on the same amount of customers. But it does give us that freedom. When I was saying, when you asked me earlier about how long the program is, we have that freedom because we are our own funder as well. And that freedom to say, if you need to stay longer in the program, you're staying longer. If you want to go quickly through, great, that's an option too. But we're not obligated to push them through a program because that's what we have said we had to do. And I think that is real freedom to have some of that opportunity to sort of make your own money and have a model that's like ours. Yeah. It's not exactly a a social enterprise or social business because those are not nonprofits. Those are regular businesses, LLCs, or corporations that have a social, you know, a social set of activities. Yes, exactly. But you, you are a nonprofit, correct? Correct. correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. And you just social have this. En- yeah. Social enterprise, like Triple Bottom Brewery is a great example. And they hire and employ folks who are formerly incarcerated or homeless. And it's a restaurant and a brewery, just like you would walk into any other. And they're a social enterprise which means they have guaranteed wages and really advocate and provide some support. But we provide wraparound services, employment training, as well as the job. So it's not just the job. It's also the job and the program. And so the nonprofit piece of it is, I say the cafe is our work site. (laughs) I think that's the best way to think about it is the cafe is the big, exciting work site, but the organization is a nonprofit. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that and make sure that I had that straight in my head. And how are the young people referred to your organization? How do you get those referrals? It's a great question. So we work with the local community organizations who are assigned to help and support young adults who are aging out of foster care in the city of Philadelphia. There are a few organizations. Turning Points has this fantastic program called YV LifeSet. And they help young adults in all these amazing ways. And then AIC with Valley Youth House is another organization, a great organization that provides resources and support for young adults who are aging out. And so our primary resource for referrals are those two organizations. However, we sometimes get a community referral. So someone who heard of our organization know of a young person who is currently aging out in that 18 to 23 age range. We'll also connect with them when we have our hiring cycles. So we started to cohort this year. 
So we bring on a small group at one time rather than one at a time throughout the year. And so that really allows them to create a little group as well as we'll have hiring times of the year. Oh, okay. And do you get any referrals from the young people themselves? Yeah, actually we do. Occasionally we'll get someone who will get a referral from a young person who is, we had a former participant refer their foster brother. And so that will also happen. Yeah. That's great. That says a lot when the young people want people they know, other young people to work there, that they think that highly of the organization that they want to do that. Yes, definitely. It's the best referral. Absolutely. Well, in regard to the organization and, and how you're structured and the services that you offer, I want to go back to something that you had mentioned. You had mentioned the growth mindset as being one of the tenets of your organization. What are these tenets? Are they the values that you hold and how do they form the foundation of how you work with these young people? That's a great question. It actually started from the standpoint of the curriculum and Lisa and her team before me really set out this intention about creating a growth mindset. And it was integrated into the workshops that are provided to the young adults. And then really the growth <laughs> mindset idea seemed like it could scale for the organization. And so it ended up being a intentional, unintentional tenant of the organization. So if you ask anyone at m and &E, what's the growth mindset mean? They literally can answer it because it's something that everybody talks about. I think as adults, we want them to know there isn't one answer and that we're all on a journey and that the growth mindset is really the key thing to take into any employment situation. And you may learn a skill, but the mentality of a growth mindset will take you very far in your professional and personal life. And I think it also helps, I think, from a leadership standpoint, making it less about, oh, you're the ones who are learning and more about we are all learning and we are all on these journeys. It's a never-ending journey to keep growing and learning. Absolutely. It ties hand in hand with, the, you know, being that lifelong learner. And are there other tenets? You know, it's funny. The growth mindset is the one that dominates, but we also like to be, we say trauma-informed, but healing-centered. So it's not that we don't accept and understand that everyone has a story before they walk in the door, their history, but we like to think of the cafe as the place that healing and growth happens, not necessarily the story to be retold. We are all more than the story or our history. And so the other lens, I think, that we look at the organization is around how to be trauma-informed and healing-centered. So understanding how trauma is presenting itself, both in our participants, but also in the way that the organization has been structured because of the sort of way that we are in society and the sort of structures that we're all growing up in being aware about how we might be perpetuating trauma or how we might be triggering folks. There's just a constant state of learning and unlearning around trauma. And then also this idea of healing centered and being on our paths forward and not just with the story that is our history, for example. 
And so I would say trauma-informed healing-centered kind of sums it up. (laughs) But uh, it's really important for us to be really aware of that and constantly working on it, frankly, because it's not like you just check it off of a list. It it really is a, a daily and weekly practice of trying to figure out how you're creating an environment that is safe as well as consistent and that trauma is a part of what has been the history of the participants that we're working with. Right. I like the use of the word practice Mm -hmm. there because it's something that we never all get perfect at, right? We never necessarily become an expert. It's something that we're always improving and moving forward. Yeah, practice. And really, I think the best employment training programs are about practice and the opportunity to practice, not perfection or even skill acquisition, but practicing that skill or practicing everything from communicating with your supervisor to practicing customer service to practicing financial literacy or spending and saving. It really is about a practice. And maybe, you know, I have an art to background. The idea of practice is really important because your creative practice, it's not like a destination, it's the journey. Right, exactly. Well, let me dig into the structure of your organization a little bit more. How many staff do you have there working with the young people? Yeah, it's a great great question. We are the little engine that can. (laughs) So there is myself, and so I'm the executive director, and then we have a program manager, and Kayla is the head of the program manager. And what she does is she designs and facilitates the weekly workshops with the program participants, as well as conducts weekly check-ins, and that's an individual check-in that consists of kind of that wraparound service as well as helps support and create feedback opportunities and hiring and orientation for new participants. And then she also coordinates the art at Emini. And that is a monthly event, April to December, where we host BIPOC artists with a preference for artists who have history in child welfare. And we support their creative work and whether they're makers or visual artists and promote their practice. And so she heads up all of that. And then our cafe manager, general manager is Kayvon Harris Robinson, and he leads the team. So he really is in the nitty gritty of all cafe operations. So ordering and and inventory menu, as well as the training of the shift leader and training, as well as the training for the sort of phase one participants. And he does all that training on the floor with them and then also does a weekly shift leader and training group to help them get ready for, you know, the mentorship and leadership. And so he is technically the direct supervisor of the participants. Kayvon has a unique set of skills of being a fantastic trainer, a creative person, and he also is one of the original program participants. So he has a really unique perspective and understanding as well as calm under pressure that is <laughs> is essential for your cafe manager. Yes. And I know that having somebody with that lived experience in the foster care system really, I think, helps young people when they're coming into a program like yours. Yes. And I think when they start, they don't even realize to the extent, because the shift leader in training, they all also have that history. And so things like, where do you get resources? How do you figure out housing? These are very easy, casual conversations once you get going at the cafe. 
But when you start and you're new, there's a lot of hiding at first, like uh, shame and hiding about whether or not it's housing or resources. And once you sort of understand that everyone in the room has been where you are, it becomes a lot easier. And so then you get all these new resources and all these new ideas in a very non-judgmental, I understand where you're at way, which is a really special experience. We're really, I'm really happy and proud that the cafe is, is currently all run by participants or former participants. That's fantastic. Yeah. And do they serve as your staff or the young people in the leadership roles, do they serve as mentors, like formal mentors at all? Or does that mentorship just kind of happen as a byproduct yeah, a of the relationships that you build? It's a great question. I think we're figuring it out. To be honest with you, we're, we're figuring <laughs> it out. Kayvon is definitely a mentor and a leader. And 100%, that is a defined role for him and their relationship together. The shift leader in training that is much more informal. And we're trying to figure out how to build the skills up of those shift leader in training, as well as help get them into the right mindset. Kayvon, he left the cafe, went on to get his degree, came back to the organization with additional experience in the restaurant industry, with his education. So he's coming at it from a much more mature and greater world understanding than the shift leader in trainings who just graduated from the program. They're a little bit more like peer mentors than formal mentors. Sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. But you don't have an, like an official mentor program where you have volunteer mentors in, or anything not. like that. Okay. I'm just trying to picture when a young person is hired and accepted into your program, they come in. I imagine you sit down with them. You want to get to know them and find out what their goals are so that you can work with them to flesh those out and create a map to achieve them. Sure. Am I right on that? Yeah. I mean, trust is really important and that doesn't happen right away. And so what we do is we have these weekly workshops where they cover a variety of topics like communication, professional skills, financial literacy, healthy relationships, self-care, like a wide range of themes. And then they have the check-in, which is individual. And then they have the three shifts, at least three shifts a week that they work. We don't get to really know a person until at least the second to third, sometimes fourth or fifth month. We really have to just be consistent and present. And until that time is really when they start to tell us what they're interested in, what they like. And I don't think that they have that, at least it seems like to me, the capacity to think about that when they don't know where they're going to sleep, they don't know where they're going to get their next meal, or they're in a toxic situation so they really just like have to get their feet under them. After that orientation period, we start to get little windows through that check-in and through those workshops. And then the downtime at the cafe, we start to learn more about each other. It usually happens in little pieces by the time that conversation with Kayla and the participant, they sit down, they're like, oh, hey, you know, I, I heard you're really interested in journalism and telling stories and photography and, and video. What are the other things that you see for yourself? And then that kind of leads into a bigger conversation. Yeah. I like this approach. Not all programs, I think, are able to do that, but you're still providing the services as far as the cafe and the, the skills training and all that, but letting the goal setting and their own personal desires and needs coming out more organically. I like that. You have the patience and the ability and the structure to be able to let that come out when they're ready. And I imagine some young people might come in and say, 
I'm ready. Let's go. Yep. (laughs) Yep. I want to start talking about this and others, like you're saying, maybe it will take more time to build that trust. Yeah. And really we even see folks who come in, they're like, I really like childcare. I want to work at a summer camp. I think this is going to be great. And then get into it and be like, I don't know if I really like that. (laughs) Can I take that back? I want to shift gears and think about art or I want to think about a different piece of education. Yeah, I think we definitely have, you know, just everyone is different. And the luxury of time and letting a trusting relationship evolve, I think we could use more of that in our overall program (laughs) design. (laughs) Because it does take time. A lot of places are very interested in outcomes, but it's not just that destination. It really is that journey to get there. Right. You know, I think this is a good opportunity to mention to the listeners that your organization won yes. one of our awards this past year. So congratulations Thank to you for you. winning winning that. We are so <laughs> excited to be part of that award and what an amazing group of organizations to be considered with. It's just such an honor. It's really special because very rarely do you get a chance to be in the same cohort nationally with organizations who are doing very similar work. So it is such an honor. We are so excited to be a part of it. Yes. And I was so excited for you. I'm like, yay, they won because you're local to me. Yes. And then you can come down and visit and get that chai latte next time. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So I was especially excited. And I will add for those who might not be aware of this, this is a peer judged program. So people who work in this field with young people aging out of foster care are volunteers and they judge the applications. And so it's not aging out institute staff looking it over and making the choices. No, these are people who are out there doing this work, who are recognizing you for the work that you do. And I think that's especially wonderful. It is such an honor. We are so (laughs) excited. And I'm excited to hear how you utilize the funds that you won as part of that award. And we'll be checking back with you in a few months to ask that question. Yeah, great. Excellent. We have have a million places to use it, right? (laughs) Well, let me ask this, because I know our our time is coming to a close here, and I really appreciate the explanation of your program, your cafe. What advice would you give, Anne, to someone who might be considering doing something like what you are doing? That's a good question. We get inquiries pretty regularly about our model, and we've actually started doing some consulting specifically around the program design. That has actually been a really exciting opportunity to start thinking about how to replicate without starting a new coffee shop, but really working with others to help them get started. I think the running of the restaurant, honestly, is the most expensive part, but the most straightforward part. I think that building in the staffing infrastructure to provide wraparound services, resource support, and skills and training, as well as ensuring that the staff who are working with the participants do have some social service experience. I think those are some really important pieces not to be overlooked. Running the cafe part, it feels like that's pretty straightforward and folks have more experience in that or they have experience running programming. But I think it's easier to learn the cafe pieces than it is to learn the social service pieces. So I would advise them to plan to train folks with experience in programming versus the other way around. That would be my tip. And I know the restaurant people out there are going to be like, what? 
But I think there's a little bit more theory and education around working holistically with young people that is very difficult to train on the fly in a restaurant setting. So that's the tip I would give them. Oh, that's great advice. And I have heard that before yeah. in other organizations that do other things like, say, placing young people in jobs like an employment agency. Yeah. Rather than hiring employment agency staff, hire somebody who has, like you're saying, experience in social services or counseling and then teaching them that business. Yes. It works so much better because that skill set of having that background in social services, you know how to better support these young people, especially when they're running into challenging situations and they're wrestling with emotions and things like that. It's, I think it's really a leg up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they also tend to have a network of resources built in as well, which makes solving some of those problems a lot faster because they have colleagues that they either have worked with before or that they know through their education or even just through working in the city in various supportive roles. You end up having a really short list of folks you can call if you don't know the answer, you know who to call to find the answer. And I think that's a real value in running an organization like ours. Yep, absolutely. Well, finally, before we close, if somebody wanted to donate to your cafe, to your organization, how can they do that? Oh, I'm glad that you asked. We welcome (laughs) donations. If you can't get to the cafe to have a coffee, please feel free to donate. You can go to our website at www.themonkeyandtheelephant.org. And we'll make sure that we can post that up with this podcast as well. If you're in Philadelphia and you want to have a lovely little garden place to enjoy a chai tea or the lemon loaf coming out next week, please come on by. Or you just want the best Rice Krispie treat in Philadelphia. You now know where you can get it. You're tempting me to come out there. <laughs> Excellent. You're tempting Anytime, me. Anytime, <laughs> Lynn. We love, we love to have you. And next time, we'll even you know chat you up for a little bit. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I look forward to it. Well, I thank you so much, Anne, for joining the podcast series. We do have to bring it to a close, though. I wish you all the best with your cafe. Please pass along my best wishes to your your staff, to your young people. And I just hope that you have all sorts of success over the next year as you're improving your programs and building your programs out. I just, I can't wait to follow along and see how things grow. Thank you so much. I am delighted to be here and so happy to be part of this community. Thank you. You're very welcome. For those who have listened to the end of this podcast, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple weeks or so, and you can find them on our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and just look for the podcast link. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.